Hello, and welcome to Making Problems to Solve, the podcast about curiosity, creativity, and problem solving. I'm Dave, and today I'm talking to Rebecca DeGroote, a maker, a teacher, and a woodturning artist. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks a lot. Um, I know that um, I read some stuff online that you <laughs> had published, I think, when you were doing some classes and talked about uh, learning, uh, starting woodturning you know, with your father pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I got started into it. My dad was always a maker and like, it just kind of happened that I wanted to do that too, from following him out to the wood shop every day and hanging out and playing in sawdust and yeah. 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 Cool. And was that his actual job or was it just something he did, uh, you know, as recreation? Um, it was his job. I think he's always had some type of creative job. I've heard of him doing like a lot of odd things like cherry picking and some other random things like factory work and stuff. But for the most part, he was always making or constructing or on like some type of job site where he was building something. Okay, that's pretty cool. And was there anyone else who was kind of creative uh, uh, in your family growing up? Uh, Pretty much everybody. My mom was an artist. My grandma grew up as an artist, like commercial artist, which is today's graphic designer. Um, so she was actually running a commercial art company for quite a while, doing all of their branding and logos and things. And then my mom, like she was, she is still the most, one of the most phenomenal artists in so many different areas, but she's got the same issues that I have where she'll start something, she'll get really good at that thing. And then she'll just completely drop it from her life and start another thing instead of really like going off and continuing down that road and becoming like a professional or like something that actually makes money. So she'll just like pick up all these hobbies, be really good at all of them and then just like leave them as she goes on to the next thing. Sure. I think that that happens to be a lot of the people I end up talking to because I think people who kind of end up in the maker community, even if they, you know, they, some of them may call themselves professional artists and they make some money from their art, but they're, they end up in the maker community because they have all these different interests. They don't just do the one thing. They're not a, a typical professional fine artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So um, the next thing I noticed was you said that you learned about becoming an art teacher as a career, like I think like in was it middle school? Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Yeah. Now I'm wondering where you're finding all these things. <laughs> <laughs> um some like, of it i think was, yeah, I was on your that? on your website and yeah i think okay. that people took it from there yeah okay um yeah so when i was in when actually younger than middle school i would sit at the computer and i would or at the computer at the tv and i would watch these like drawing shows and like how to paint and, like bob ross and all that and then I would do the lesson and then I would end up teaching my younger brothers how to do it. One of my younger brothers in particular, and he would learn how, and I would see that kind of like spark in his eye and he'd just be like, Oh my God, that's so cool. And it was so satisfying being able to share kind of information, even though it was my version of the information with somebody else and have them pick it up really quickly and then have them rewarded from me doing what I was doing through somebody else doing the same thing to me. And I, I thought it was really cool being able to do that. And then um, I was homeschooled till seventh grade. And then we started, I started going to a private Christian middle school. And for whatever reason, we were there one night. I think we were, it was some type of like one-on-one orientation thing with the principal and my parents. And I was wandering the halls of the middle school. <laughs> and everything was just dark. My brothers were with me. And there was one room that was lit up and somebody was in there like doing some stuff. And we kind of like peeked in and it was the art teacher. So she kind of introduced herself to these three random kids that walked into her room in the night and we got to know her. And like, I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I think I'm going to be in your class this year. And she was really excited. She all like welcomed me in from day one. And it ended up being this really positive experience where she kind of just nurtured my, my sort of need to learn, but then my need to kind of share that with others too, even though, Coming from being homeschooled, I was ridiculously shy. Um, So it wasn't kind of a natural tendency to lead. It was more like, oh, you're having trouble with this thing. Let me privately help you be a little bit better at that thing while nobody's looking. 
you know? So <laughs> <laughs> she got me started in that. And then I, I just always looked up to her as being this just positive force in my life and also just a really good attitude and a good personality in that middle school world. So I, I still very much look up to and respect her as a person too. That's cool. That, I think that's the first person who I've talked to who kind of learned about like sharing that young, like, you know, like with their brothers and sisters, that's kind of, or that's really interesting that you figured that out uh, so early. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty cool how you're, you know, that middle school teacher kind of gave you an example, you know, of what you wanted to pursue. Did, did that like carry on? Did you know you wanted to be a art teacher then? Or when did you realize that? I think pretty early on too. Um, Cause I had her for the two years that I was at that middle school. And then I went to the next kind of step of that private school where we, I don't even think we had an art class that next year. And it was the one thing that I missed so much out of everything else. And so not having that sort of hands-on art learning kind of like it left this sort of void in my life. Then I went to another school where we had an art teacher. And again, it was a similar experience. This one was a little bit more laid back at the public version of the high school. And it was like, okay, he seems to really enjoy his job and everybody seems to have like a positive experience in the class, but he doesn't care as much. And then I moved on to yet a third high school and another really positive experience where I took so many art classes that by the time I was like a junior and senior, I was like leading other people in the class. And that teacher was like, oh, we have this kind of version of the middle school um, where they need to learn how to do ceramics. And so I don't know how to do ceramics. You have some ceramic experience from your past life. And I'm going to have you teach these fourth and fifth graders. And I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I like as actually, I think that was my sophomore year. As a sophomore, I got to go off and like teach these middle schoolers how to do stuff. So it was, it was, I think other people saw it in me and it just kind of ended up being my natural tendency to go in that direction. Oh, that's great. It's really, you know, important to have like those you know, examples of people mm -hmm. who, you know, have those creative jobs and can push you in the right direction. You're pretty lucky there to have that because not everybody has the same kind of experience where they realize what they are meant to do <laughs> in high school. So that's cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, things are things are changing. <laughs> yeah, of course. Things are, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do that forever or it's going to be, you know, exactly what your <laughs> life's going to turn out to be. So then did, did you go to like art school for you know, college, right? And then mm -hmm. for yeah, art so education? I, yeah. I ended up going to Kendall College of Art and Design for art education. And that was my initial goal um, until I screwed up my schedule because I got really carried away taking all the studio classes and all of like the hands on like painting and drawing and sculpture and ceramics and jewelry and all that. Right. And I kind of forgot that there had to be a very specific schedule for my art education classes, like how to teach type classes. Sure. And I lost track of those a little bit when I was just overly excited into my like third and third year or so and realized like, oh, I missed signing up for this class that I was supposed to take that they only offer like once every year and a half to two years. And that right. pushed me back like a year. And I'm like, oh, oh no. Oh, <laughs> like what am I supposed to do now? And so I had to kind of modify my schedule a lot and like not necessarily drop some things, but add some more and then take on a second major instead of adding like a minor in a certain area that I wanted to go into. So I was already taking sculpture and functional art classes, but then I was like, well, these are really what I'm passionate about now, which was kind of unexpected because it got me back into the wood shop, which I didn't really know I needed at the time. But once I started taking those classes, it's the only place I wanted to be in the school. And so eventually um, that art education degree ended up being a bachelor in fine arts and art education with certification to teach K through 12 with a second major in sculpture and functional art, which I mean, it really just took a couple extra history classes and some more some more electives, which I was already really excited about anyways, like some more studio oh. classes. Yeah. Wow. So you had the kind of the 
opportunity to explore that, you know, art degree as a you know more traditional art degree and then, mm-hmm. you know, t- tack on that teaching there. So you can yeah. actually get a, a get a job. Um, yeah, what does, <laughs> you can actually um, be an artist with a job. <laughs> right, right. Um, what is functional art? Is that I'm not sure if that's a specific term or is it something they had just that school? Yeah, I, I mean, it, I think it is specific to that school, but it, it kind of envelops like any piece of art that can be used with a function. Like it's not a painting that you put on a wall and it doesn't have a purpose. It's like a, a shelf that is also a very artistic shelf or a piece of furniture that has spider legs, you know, um, sure. something that's not something that is functional. So it has some type of practical use. But it is also considered a piece of art, so it makes the kind of viewer think about yeah. it and consider it. It's not just a folding table. Sure, I love that because a lot of the people I talk to who end up calling themselves makers are like, "Well, I'm not an artist. Everything I make is functional." And so, <laughs> you're a functional artist. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, maybe. Well, we'll have to. We can have that discussion. But um, that's pretty cool. I really, I like that concept. I don't know if I. You know, heard of that before, but did they, was that a kind of like a guided, like how much um, art was in that? Were they, you know, teaching you certain design techniques or was it more like exploration? Um, A lot of it was design-esque. So they would give us a prompt or kind of a project. Like my first project that I had to do in this functional art one class was to make a shelf but we were limited to the materials. So our joinery mechanism, our main material was masonite and our joinery process was glue and canvas. And I'm like, how, first of all, and then we had to figure out how to make an actual structural uh, shelf out of just these three materials. I'm like, this is lame. And I I was like (laughs) really, really tempted to drop the class after that. And I'm really glad I like stuck it out because like the teacher was like <sighs> walked around like he carried a thesaurus in his pocket the way he talked to everybody. And I was like, you don't know that many words, dude. And I was like, I felt like he was just like looking down on us. This guy ended up being my favorite professor. Um, but <laughs> like in those first classes, I was just angry. I was like, this is dumb. This is lame. I don't want to do this. Nobody's ever going to want this. This is an ugly project. And I was just very like like turned off by just this one assignment. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stick it out. I'm going to get through this project. And I'm hopeful that there will be better projects after this, which there were. And I mean, I learned how to do, um, I learned how to do hand cut dovetails in the second part of this class and learned more box making techniques and being down in the wood shop for most of the, most of the class, like I got to learn all of the different machines and tools that I was already familiar with. And then my last project, I think during that functional art one year, I was able to learn kind of relearn how to use the lathe. And so we had this, um, I don't remember the exact project or the, the exact prompt, but we had to have two things that kind of interacted with each other to come together to make our piece. So my design was to make a bench where it made it look like the weight of the bench was pressing down on the legs and almost squishing the legs a little bit. And so I made this really strange L-shaped bench and these really large kind of squished orb form legs. But I made lots of bad decisions in wood choice and scale. Um, And so learning how to turn these legs took eight hours per leg. But (laughs) it was like... (laughs) It was it was definitely experience and it definitely like got me back into the process and it didn't make me hate the process again. I was like, this is really like what I wanted to do in anyways. So getting back into that now, it's like it kind of feels like I'm home again. Okay. So so you took like a little bit of a break from the lathe uh, (laughs) from, you know, starting out, uh, you know, standing on the (laughs) standing on the bucket. bucket. (laughs) Right, right. To, uh... Yeah, yeah. It was about a fifteen-year break from back wow. back in the day when I learned with my dad, and then I came back to it in college. Okay. And uh, do you think? Uh, can you remember any kind of lessons you learned uh, in that from that first project of trying to combine those extremely odd materials into something that was actually useful, and I guess at least somewhat artistic? <laughs> Never again. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, a lot of it was kind of just an experimentation in the 
the structure that you can gain from certain materials. Like you wouldn't normally think that being able to attach something just with canvas is actually going to be functional and sturdy. And I ended up trashing the project. Like I, I anger crushed it later on and destroyed it so that I didn't ever have to look at it again. Um, But I mean like Masonite and canvas and glue. And that's like, you can make something interesting and cool out of it, even if you don't really like it later on. But okay. it is, it's a good starting point. Like you don't have to have like hard maple and walnut and like really expensive materials to be able to make something like anybody can get started with just about nothing. I mean, I've got like a seven by eight foot dinosaur in my garage made out of hot glue and cardboard. So it's like, Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have that many materials. I just had a bunch of recycled boxes and way too much hot glue. <laughs> and may, some might say a little too much time on my hands. Oh, sure. What um, what inspired you to make this dinosaur? I saw a picture online. <laughs> and you wanted to was it was it also a hot glue dinosaur or I don't think was so. it something you wanted to recreate? Yeah, it was just something I wanted to recreate, but it's a wearable dinosaur. So oh, okay. um, initially, initially, my plan was to wear it to uh, Comic-Con or like our version of Comic-Con, which is Comic Palooza down in Houston. It actually just happened a couple weeks ago. <laughs> And, um, I still haven't worn it because it's still never been fully finished, but this has been like a eight year dinosaur process, but she's still standing strong in the garage. She hasn't collapsed on me yet. Although now she's reinforced with resin and she's all painted and she's got these screens that I can look through when I'm standing in her body, but it's, it's it's an intense thing. I need to put her on some casters that I can hide, but it'll be cool. Oh, right. So you can just, you're not actually like wearing the dinosaur. I'm not actually kind carrying of like be in it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of rolling around inside her. It's going to make it a whole lot easier to wear for the entire day. <laughs> oh, that sounds really cool. And you can, I'm yeah. sure you got electronics in there for the screen. Not electronics, more like, like ropes and oh. pulleys and things. Oh, wow. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe you should like uh, stick a fan in there uh, somewhere. Battery powered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just in case. That was, that was the plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, all comic cons are, Usually, you know, it gets hot inside the costume, but if you're in Houston, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, double, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> That's cool. Do you know, um, what's it? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, Lindsay Murphy from Lindsay Creative. Yeah. She's on Instagram. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, because I think she was just there with their makerspace at Comic Palooza. Yeah. So. Yeah, I am they, familiar. Some really cool stuff. They probably, you know, if you ever need, uh, there's probably people who would, you know, have some kind of, you know, solutions if you needed to uh, help with the dinosaur. <laughs> <or> people, <laughs> they're around there somewhere who would help you out. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There's actually a surprising amount of makers in Houston. I just never end up meeting up with them because I think my uh, general tendency to be an introvert is keeping me from that. Yeah, that definitely is uh, also a common trait I find with <laughs> a lot of people who are makers. So mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I'm working nope. my way out of that, though. Like, it's not anywhere near as bad as it was when I first took my first art class, but like where I would like look around terrified of everyone not wanting to talk. But um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> but now it's yeah. like I just choose not to go out as often as maybe other people might. But keeps me sure. keeps me in my creative space. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I'm curious, do you is there anything that you learned from your dad when he was uh, in the woodshop that you that you you know remember when you're working now? I remember being specifically, I remember just being fascinated by the lathe in particular. And there was one project that he had done that it was just like, it, it completely broke my brain. I was like, how on earth are you doing this? And it's when he turned a multi-axis, a multi-axis scoop and he turned it on the one axis and I was like, okay, I get that. I understand that. Cause I think at that point he was already showing us how to turn. Um, but then he took the whole thing and reoriented it and then turned the whole thing into like this propeller. And while it's in this propeller form, he like made the actual scoop part of it. And I'm like, how, like, how is right. this possible? <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was both like completely confused and mesmerized. And I'm like, I think my dad's a wizard and like right. all of these things. And I'm just like, this is amazing. And then he like took it off and he shows me and I'm like, what? Like how, but like still young me, like five, six years old. And I'm just 
completely blown away. And I remember that moment. And it was just this like kind of realization that there's so much possible that I don't understand yet. And I want to learn as much as I can. Well, and granted, like that was probably really close to the time that I stopped and didn't get back to it for another like 15 years. But that that kind of thought stayed with me and it it sort of just stuck that like there's so much that I don't know and I want to learn all of it. Okay. And you're still uh, working on that? Yeah. (laughs) Always. (laughs) You were teaching art for after you went to college, you became an art teacher? Mm hmm. So I actually got hired to teach in Texas right a couple weeks before I graduated. Um, and I've been down there or here since 2014. So I just finished up my ninth and final year as a high school art teacher. So I'm not actually going back. Oh, no. But- yeah. <laughs> no, it's oh, yay. <laughs> oh, yay. Well, I mean, no, it's a good it's- thing. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, you know, you're you know moving on to you know the next steps of your career. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited, and I I am glad to have had the experience, um, because without that teaching experience, I don't think I would be as thorough of a uh, demonstrator as I am now. Because mm-hmm. I mean, currently I go like all over the place demonstrating wood turning. Um, and my specific like combination of wood turning and carving processes all over the country and soon to be a couple different places in other countries. Uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's exciting. I don't, I think I can make at least one announcement. Um, I'm going to be going to Australia at the beginning of the year for Turnfest and I'll be one of their like demonstrators at Turnfest. That sounds amazing. Um, but without being like a teacher and having that experience, in kind of that teaching world, I don't think I would be as successful as a demonstrator. So I'm, I'm thankful for that, but it's just gotten to a point where it's, it's taking more time away from me doing what I want to do than building onto it. So it was time. Sure. And is there anything you can think of, you know, that you learned from your students? Definitely don't be too serious. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I mean, they're they're high schoolers and they I mean, they'll get serious, but it's usually when they're mad or when somebody is not like listening to them. But if you kind of like get to their level and you work with them and first of all, you don't try to force them into anything that they don't want to do. You can kind of guide them where they don't want to go. Um, sure. But have this like level of communication and also having like a good rapport with the kids before. Like I started my my education where everything was like very set in stone, like, no, it must be this way and it must be that way. And it has to be like this. And that breaks teachers being like that because you're trying to win every single battle and you have to like you have to give in in certain areas and my certain areas maybe weren't always the best areas, but I know I had like a positive impact on a lot of students because of it, because I didn't like excessively force too much on them as far as like workload and expectations. And if somebody was really struggling with a project, we might modify the project and make it something completely different that they'll still be learning the concepts and I need them to learn. But at the same time, they're not being pushed as hard or in the same direction as everybody else, but they're still making like positive growth. Um, so maybe not sticking to the exact rules of the system, but kind of breaking those a little bit for your own means and for other people's. That sounds great. I like it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just break all the rules. (laughs) Right. I think, I think that's, it's important, especially in art because you want these kids to, not just, you know, check all these boxes and, you know, like meet all these like learning goals, but you want them to actually Mm -hmm. get something out of the creative process. And hopefully even if they don't become professional artists, they'll, you know, keep, you know, that whatever creativity and curiosity, you know, you know, as they move on. Yeah. Yeah. Also letting them know that they're starting at like a baseline of zero because they come into these classes thinking that they're in an art class because they're good at art. 
And while some of them don't like it very much, I tell them from the beginning, like, it's okay for you to suck. <laughs> like, it's okay for everything you do right now to look like garbage. Because, like, it, like, have you ever had an art class before? Most of them will tell me no. Like, then why do you expect to be good? Like, it's okay for everything right now to be absolute trash. As long as you look at your work at the end of the year compared to your work now and it's better at the end, then we've, like, we've met a goal. Like that's, what's important. It's not like how much it's not how much you kind of, it is how much you grow, but it's not where you start. It's like where you end right. up. Yeah. That's interesting that, you know, you're saying that they, there were some kids who didn't have an art class, but they still somehow thought they should already be good at art. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, most of them, honestly. Interesting. Yeah, they're like yeah. questioning me, like, why did my counselor put me in here? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying. I'm trying to remember. I didn't have a lot of super encouraging or inspiring art teachers in school, and I still wanted to do art anyway after that because I knew what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, I still didn't do it, but because um, <laughs> <laughs> um, of you know just other reasons for reality, mm -hmm. but it took me. But I don't know, like 10 years, then I went back to school for graphic design mm -hmm. and then took another 20 year break um, wow. before I found all the, you know, online people like just sharing their work and having fun and, you know, not worrying about turning into a job or anything, but just, you know, yeah. exploring and having fun. So, yeah. And then that, that's actually what makes it. I think a productive hobby is if you're not trying to turn it into a job and you do have fun with it, like that's what my work has been for years now. Like I'm not taking anything too seriously unless it's for a competition. Then I'll be like, okay, now we got to like pedal to the metal and like straight to the grindstone. But like the rest of the time I'm just playing and I'm enjoying and I don't want to be too serious about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to someone and we're trying to figure out like, okay, we don't necessarily, again, we don't want to turn this into a business, but we need to make enough you know, money to keep, make it sustainable right so we can buy more art supplies mm -hmm. you know so it's kind of like that's you want to just you know sell something every once in a while just enough so you can keep going yeah so yeah absolutely just trying to figure that out <laughs> that's a hard one <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i'm gonna i'll have to make a series of try to find people who are doing that who aren't you know serious about turning it into like a full-time job but you know do make enough money to keep buying new supplies and exploring new techniques or materials or whatever. Mm -hmm. Cool. So your main thing is wood turning then, correct? <laughs> and you make these uh, kind of like, um, what are they called? The one thing <laughs> I saw they called walking mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, that's the so most, technical most term. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that there is a technical term, but when I do a demo, if it has legs, I call it a walking, whatever it is, walking, box, okay. walking bowl, walking mushroom, walking anything at this point. Like, I think I've got mm -hmm. five or six different walking things at this point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you remember kind of where that idea came from? Yeah. Yeah. It was actually functional art number four. <laughs> So oh. after, after I had already added uh, that, I think it was when I added the second major, um, this is year number four at Kendall, uh, I, was, I was already in functional art four. I had three previous semesters, functional art one, two, and three. And the higher up in the levels you get, the lower the numbers become, as I think we kind of understand. Like people just start to drop off and like either change majors or like they're not interested anymore, or it was just simply an elective class that they decided to take like randomly. And sure. so I was the only person at the level four level. Everybody wow. else was level one. And because <laughs> I was the only one, and it's like they're not going to teach a class to one person, they're like, we're just going to. We're just going to co-seat these two classes. And there wasn't anybody in the middle, too. There weren't any twos or threes. It was just a full class of functional art ones and me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is frustrating. So I'm sitting here thinking, like, I'm going to get this stupid Masonite canvas project thing again. 
and I'm gonna be so mad. And right. it didn't happen. I was I was like it. I still had the same instructor though, Bob, and he started doing like all of these other projects. And I think a little bit of it was because I was co-seated in this class that he didn't want me to have to repeat all of these things that I had already done before. So I don't remember all of the projects that we had done that year, but every time we did something new, it was always, they would be basically just learning the basics. Like it would still be like how to use a bandsaw, how to use a table saw. But then I would be off by myself, like experimenting with these designs while they're trying to figure things out. Um, I think also by this point, I was working as the student work study in the woodshop at that point because I, I worked there for about three, my, like my last three, three and a half years of college, too. And okay. um, so I was not only in a class, but like as soon as I like was done with class time, I clocked into the shop and I started working. And so then anybody who stayed after, I was the one that was helping them. So again, with like the teaching and hands on and like, this is how you do this thing. Um. So I think it was our last project of the year or of the semester, and we had to make something with a timbre. And for those that are not familiar with what a timbre is, it's essentially pieces of wood that are canvas backed, again with the canvas, um, (laughs) that run in a track that keep it contained. So something similar to like a roll top desk or a bread box or a piano lid, things that will like end up moving along a shape or along a curve. And the only thing that we had to do was just make something and it was functional with a timbre as part of its like function. And I'm like, okay, but I was already determined to do something on the wood lathe. And so I was like, well, how the heck am I supposed to put a timbre on a wood lathe? And I started sketching kind of this like random design, like, okay, well, I'd have to do this and then I'd have to do this other thing and it would have to be perfect to do what I was going to do. And then there would have to be things added onto it and like all of these different things. By the time he was done just assigning the project, I already had this like weird sketch that looked like some type of alien cheeseburger with legs. And I'm just like, okay, this is looking so strange. So I talked to Bob and I was like, all right, Bob, how hard would it be after it was all said and done? How hard would it be to do like this? Like instead of making an opening in the timbre, like a lot of people would do for the box or like a lamp or something, I would have it completely continuous. So it would all fit perfectly in a ring. And he was like, well, I mean, it's just going to take a lot more measuring because instead of having like overlap where you can kind of have the ends of the timbre disappear into the thing and you just have to kind of figure it out in the basic form, you're going to have to be perfect for this to actually be able to move. And I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Got it. Good. Awesome. And every time it was like a new question like this, well, how hard would it be if his response was always, well, maybe not the best idea to do it with the time that you have. And I would, I just kept coming back to him. Well, how hard would it be to take these timbre pieces, the individual slats that are already on the canvas and add an additional piece onto each one to make them longer? And he's like, again, that's a lot of work. You don't have a lot of time. You're also doing your student teaching at this point. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, like, I I think I could do it. Like I work here, you know, it's going to be fine. And so like over and over again, I think there were four different things that I asked him. And I was like, well, how hard would it be to do this? And how would it be to do this? And do you think I could do this? And every single time he would do, he would come back with that same type of response. And by the time I was done, I was in the wood shop 16 hour days. And it was like, I would get there before everybody else, before I had to take my first class, I would start my first class, come straight back to the wood shop. I'd clock into the bookstore and work there for a couple hours while I was on the clock. I'd come back. I'd like call in for my nanny job. And it was like all of these things so that I could get this project done on time. And by the time I'm done, like Bob came over to me and it was like two days before the project's due. And he's just like, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm fine. Like everything's fine. I did this on purpose. Like I'm fine. But I mean, like every project was like just supposed. I took it as a personal challenge to myself to prove that I could, even with an assignment given to these lower level students, I could still grow from it, and I could still right. push myself to these higher levels. And so by the time I was done, I had this enclosed bowl, and technically it's a lidded box where there's a uh, eighty piece timbre that wraps around the outside of this box that have spikes that come off from the timbre and they each set at different points. So the outside points of the spikes end up creating this wave pattern around the outside edge. And then the timbre does actually spin around the bowl. And 
it had four little stubby legs at the bottom and some like other animalistic qualities and finishing this piece i was able to sand the parts that were done on the lathe up to like a high 320 finish and like get them all like waxed and polished and all that but the carved pieces like the timber parts and the legs i in the time i had was able to sand them up to a 60 grit i couldn't get up any further than 60 in that time that i had and so i'm just like what the heck am i gonna do and i just like slapped some danish oil on it it puffed up like fur and i'm like i'm just going with it so if you've (laughs) ever been (laughs) if you've ever been to an art critique where the artist presents their work a lot of what they're doing is just bsing and if you can bs your way through a critique or through a presentation of your work people will follow along and they'll be like yeah that makes sense and so I went off and I was like, yes, I did all of this on purpose. And it was adding to the animalistic qualities. I wanted that fur texture. That's exactly what I was going for. And everybody in the group, like all these functional art one. And I think we had a couple other people from some other classes that were kind of in on the critique. They're just like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm just like, definitely. <laughs> so Bob, <laughs> Bob comes up to me later and he's like, so um you're gonna finish it right i was like oh absolutely (laughs) and so i ended up taking like the next three months working on like sanding and finishing and polishing these up to the same level of finish that the other parts were while also then being invited to be part of this furniture as danger exhibition which was my first college exhibition and um as part of that, I started a secondary piece that kind of had a similar theme. So I still had the legs on it and I still had spikes, but instead of the spikes being on the outside, these were spikes on the inside of the bowl now, um, just hundreds of them. And I ended up learning a lot of stuff while doing that, like making jigs and modifying tools. And I put a crank on a hand sharpener and like all of these things are on a pencil sharpener. And like, again, learned so much so over the course of that like following three months i finished the original piece got it up to where i wanted it to be and finished a secondary piece on top of like again the work in the three different places and the student teaching and everything and then was part of this furniture as danger show which was kind of like my debut into the art world and into like this like exhibition world and it just it just kind of took off and i'm like i just wanted to make the pieces more fun like i didn't just want a bowl and i didn't just want a box and i didn't just want a piece with a timbre but i wanted it to have a little bit of life and personality and then making this secondary piece where instead of kind of cutting these legs from a board and shaping them the way i wanted it i actually learned a lot more um joinery processes so i learned how to make splines and i learned how to connect things in a much more practical and sustainable way and it it just started to evolve and then it ended up being like well this is really fun and now i want to explore this route of like taking these domestic objects and making them into these animalistic things that it looks like you could still put it on your counter and it could have a functional use to them, but then do you really want to use them for their purposes? Like the box is still a box and the bowl is still a bowl, but the box is heavy and large and scary and you might not want to use it because it's just kind of like pretty in some ways. And you you almost have this tendency to respect it a little bit more just because of those things. But then the other one with the spikes on the inside, you put anything in there and you're going to get stabbed trying to pull it back out. And (laughs) just this idea of a bowl that you can't use, it's just kind of this like, it messes with your mind a little bit. Like it, it just, it makes you think about it so much more. And then having those legs to match that aesthetic underneath. And like now, instead of being just a typical bowl, it's like this creature thing that's almost guarding itself from others. And yeah, it's, it, it just kind of went down that path with those two pieces. And then it started evolving very quickly after that. Okay. And you do these as now most of your demonstrations involve some aspect of this type of project. Maybe mm-hmm. not quite so complicated because you got to finish it uh, yeah. <laughs> in an hour or whatever. In an hour and a half, typically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, like whenever anybody asks me for my like list of demos for the things that I do, there's a large grouping of things that are very specifically legged things. But then there's other things too. Like one of the demos I wasn't expecting to be asked to do 
was a three piece or like a long stemmed goblet. And I, I have that on my list because I am capable of making them and I am capable of turning them. So I'm capable of demonstrating them. I figure anything that I can make in my own shop in less than an hour, I can demonstrate in an hour and a half. Right. But then all of a sudden people started asking for it. And I was like, you know, I do like these other things too. And they're just like, nope, we want goblets. And I'm like, okay, weirdos. <laughs> so <laughs> I started doing these three piece goblets. So instead of being all from one piece of wood, I do the little cup part from one. And then the rest of that blank I use for the the base, the the stand, I guess. I don't know, the foot. And then I'll take yeah. a different piece so that I can make it as long as I want. And I won't have to worry about the durability or the st structure of turning a piece really like a hollow form at the end of this really long piece. I do a completely right. different piece of wood for the stem. And then I like I assemble them all together. We talk about aesthetics. We talk about continuation of form and like design and making everything look like it's all part of the same piece. But then because I usually only take about an hour for this whole demo and there's half an hour at the end, I was like, all right, so you guys want to learn how to put legs on this thing, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have like a tiny little bit of extra wood at the bottom of this blank I used for the cup and the base. And I was like, we can make this into some hips. So I turn an additional piece that can then be carved into this hip form. And I stick, I pull three legs off of a teapot and shove it on the goblet. And now I've got a walking goblet and everybody's like, oh my God. And it's like, it's just fun and it's cool. And I'm like, I knew you wanted to see legs. You just didn't know it. <laughs> that is great. Cause I can imagine that if it's just, you know, a woodworking school or, you know, a shop or whatever. And they're like, what demonstration do people want to make? And it's like, oh, something they've actually seen before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, um, and, but then you were able to sneak in there and mm -hmm. show them like a way to, you know, again, be more playful and bring it to life. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've got other projects like that too. Like I've got my, like my Christmas gnomes where I've kind of like, I've developed a signature style for my gnomes that I make. And I've got a video on, I've actually got a video on YouTube of how to make them, which is rare for me because I have been working 16 hour days, like for the past year and a half. Um, so that was at the earlier end of that. And then I've got a couple other things. Like I have these like Easter bunnies and some penguins. I've got, um, turkeys that I made. So I've got like quite a few like little baby projects that maybe take me 20 minutes to make before I put a finish on them. But then there's other things too, that are smaller versions of the pieces that I've like gone off and donated or sold. Like I have this aqu aquifer piece, which is um, these carved leaf forms and a hybrid resin burl piece that I cast and I turn. So I teach people how to cast resin. I teach people how to incorporate um, carved components into the resin before you actually do the casting. And then like the tools and materials you'll need to use to turn the resin, how to turn it safely, how to turn it in a way that it doesn't shatter. And then how to incorporate a sculptural element into that resin form. And it's like, I if I can pack as much new information into a concept that they've basically seen before, that's kind of where I go with my demos. Like, yes, you can learn how to turn a goblet, but do you know how to turn a three-piece goblet and make a really long stem? Or yes, I can show you how to make a gnome, but here's how to fix the proportions. And then we'll go a step further and I'll show you how to do a gradient color dye on the hat and actually right. make a beard on the gnome that looks good instead of looks like you've your hands were covered in glue when it was glued on. So all of these, <laughs> all of these like little tips and tricks that I've learned along the way to make your thing just a little bit higher than what it was before, hopefully, but then a, just a step above the rest. Yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. I didn't know you were doing all that, and, but mm -hmm. uh, I got to mm -hmm. talk to you about it. I'm going to have to <laughs> definitely figure out a way to, you know, where when you're going to be demonstrating, you know, near me and yeah, and get there. That sounds amazing. When did you start you know, doing these demonstrations? That's a really good question. I want to say that it was... I know that one person was trying to talk me into doing demonstrations at least seven years ago. But at that point I was like, there is no way that I am ever going to be able to demonstrate 
because I just don't have the social skills for it. And I don't have the kind of like stage presence for it. And now it's, it just comes so second nature. And like I was saying before, it, a lot of it I think is because of the teaching experience that I've got. Sure. Um, but this person, Michael Gibson, he does, he's really well known for making teapots and things. Um, but he's also like very involved in the wood, wood turning world. He was like, I demonstrate. And if I can demonstrate, you can demonstrate. And this is coming from a professional wood turner. And I'm like, that means nothing. Like you're comparing like apples to oranges. That is not the same. And he's just like, start at your local clubs. So I start at my local clubs and it was like pretty early on that I was, I was actually demonstrating for these like local wood turning clubs. And I started at one. And they were like, okay, this is, you know, pretty good, but I could see where my downfalls were. And then I started at another one with another demo. And then I was like, there was another club, like a little bit further away. And they're like, oh, we see that you're demonstrating. Are you willing to demo for us? And I'm like, I guess so. So I have, I had at the time, um, a mentor that would kind of give me some advice on how to price my demos. And at the time it was like really low because I had no idea what I was doing. And so I would give them this like really low price for a demo and they'd be like, Oh yeah, like absolutely come up and do a, like a full hands-on class too. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, I don't know about this. So I started doing those and it just, it kind of just took off. And then after a couple of them, I did uh, kind of a grouping after I raised my prices a little bit and got a little better at it. I did a grouping of clubs in um, Denton, Dallas, Fort Worth area. And I think there were three or four different clubs that I went to in that area. And each one kind of ended up being a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better or just slightly different from one another because like Denton and Dallas didn't want to see the same thing. So I did one one demo in Denton and like a completely different uh, demo in Dallas. And I remember the one that I did, I think it was in Denton. Like I drilled right through the inside of the bowl when I was drilling the, the sockets for the hips or for my legs. And I'm just like, you guys didn't see that, right? <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> we don't know what you're talking about. I still have the bowl that I did that too. And I'm just sure. like, every once in a while I joke about it. And like, and every once in a while it happens. But then now as a professional demonstrator, I get to talk about like, if you ever do something stupid like this, here are some embellishment techniques that you can completely hide that stupid hole that you just drilled into it. So here's how you have this problem. And now you're going to come away with an even better product from it because you had to go that route. And right. so it's like, you're learning all these things about yourself along the way. And I, I think it's, it's really interesting, but I want to say that it was probably about six years or so that I was really doing it. I know that I did um, the Southwest Association of Turners Symposium in 2019, I think. And that was like one of my bigger regional symposiums. And then I've done three different AAWs, the American Association of Wood Turners Symposium. So the first year that it was virtual was the first year I was supposed to demonstrate at the national level. But then they pulled me back in to be a panelist. The following year, they were virtual. A second time, they pulled me in to do a recorded demo. So like everything was pre-recorded and like voiceover and everything. But I could sit there and like answer questions in the chat while they were doing it. And okay. that was a really positive experience. So again, I got to demonstrate on the national level, but it was virtual. And then this last year, I did a third one with the AAW and I was actually in person demonstrating all these processes. So like for the past at least four years, I've been really consistent with my demos, but like before that it was like here and there and every once in a while, but it's been growing and I've been able to, I've been able to travel a lot from it. Um, I teach classes. I need to get back um, up into that area, but there's a wood turning school in Chicago area and every okay. once in a while I'll go up there and teach a beginner class where it's like three full days of turning and it's like eight lathes set up and I'm like just jumping around from person to person and like I teach beginner wood turning. And again, it was one of those things that I never thought that I would be very good at because like all of my techniques are so advanced that I'm like beginners are I'm not going to be good with beginners because I've never like sat with a person that doesn't know anything about the lathe. And it it's like it's the most fun because Again, going all the way back from to when I was like really little and I was showing my brother how to do these drawing techniques, there is a moment where everything clicks. 
And it's like, yep. oh my gosh, I've got it. And now they're actually like holding the tools properly and they're seeing these shavings flying and they're making these really clean cuts on the first day. And they're just like, I have been struggling with this for years. And now you're telling me that all I needed to do was turn the tool just like this and stand in this way instead of that. And it's like, it's like day and night. And it's, it's just the coolest thing. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I've only done, I did one demonstration at Maker Camp for, to do uh, like block printing, mm-hmm. which is pretty easy. And, you know, you, especially using like the, like rubber material. So it's like, not oh, yeah. even like linoleum. So it's super easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and half the people are adults and they're like, oh, I remember doing this in school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then the other half are, are just like, you know, kids and they're just, they don't care. They'll just try anything and they're not, you know, just ready to explore it. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was, was that was just a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah. you know, just, you know, seeing people, you know, have something, you know, yeah, an hour they come out and they have an artwork. So, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then you can, if you got the block, you can print that on anything too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I like that's, that. that's super fun. Yeah. So, oh, I think uh, that's uh, <laughs> kind of covered, uh, you know, a lot of your uh, creative journey there. It's really interesting. I'm uh, super excited to see, you know, where you go next with your, you know, international uh, <laughs> demonstrating <laughs> career. That should be uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, it it is. And I mean, I'm I don't know if if you've heard what I'm doing to supplement my income now cuz like getting out of teaching is kind of a big deal and I'm not I'm not just doing the wood turning full time. That's right. No. I do I do know. I was I wrote it down and I forgot to mention it. Do you want to? <laughs> I mean, I can talk about Say. it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um so when I was young and a rebel, I ended up going and getting my first tattoo um underage illegally (laughs) 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 i ended up having my boyfriend's mom at the time sign off saying that i was her daughter and that she had i had full permission to go and get this tattoo so i was 17 and i got my first tattoo and i got to spend a lot of time in this tattoo shop kind of like following them in there and seeing all the process and uh i i ended up becoming like just sort of overwhelmed but also in awe of the whole like you can draw a picture and then you can then draw that picture on someone else. And then that someone else loves it and they carry it around with them. And it's just your art going out into the world in a way that you're not selling your artwork, you're selling the process. And I was like, I want to do this. And grandma talked me out of it. She's like, it's dangerous. It's not good. You are not, it's not steady. There's like bad people in the industry and for, first and foremost, she was just worried about like, like the like blood contact and like different sure. safety things. But a lot of it too is I think she understands like what type of people are in tattoo shops. And sure, over over the course of I don't even know how many years, like fifteen years or so, I never stopped thinking about it, and I was always going back to that. Like that would be really cool to be a tattoo artist. Like. Even when I was there just getting my own tattoo, I was sitting there sketching in a book like while I was waiting for them to be ready. And they're like, oh, that's a really cool design. Can we buy a page of those designs from you? And I was like, wait, you're going to give me money just for my drawings? And they bought a page of Flash and they put it up on their wall as an, like, a, an available wow. design to have put on their body. And I'm like, that's all I had to do? I do this stuff all the time and you're going to pay me for it? <laughs> I'm like, this is crazy. So again, I kept going back to that and I kept seeing like these really beautiful tattoos on these people in art school. And, but I just never got back into it because like I was set on a goal. I was like, I'm going to be an art teacher. This is what grandma wants. This is what I want. This is what I thought I was meant to do. And I just, over the course of that many years, when you continuously think about that one thing over and over again, it's got to mean something, right? So a few years ago, I started looking back into it and I'm like, I want, I just want to figure out how, cause like at the time I was like, I have afternoons and evenings off. I could easily go in and work a couple days in a tattoo shop and like start an apprenticeship if I wanted to, or at the very least, like do the backwards method where you like order a tattoo machine online 
and start practicing on random objects and like fruits and things and like sure. maybe some people if anybody is willing you know like maybe draw <laughs> yeah. all over my own legs and i i started reaching out to all these shops failed miserably nobody wanted to get back to me i then found out that that was the wrong way to go about doing that and ended up getting in touch with one owner of one shop and they were like well come on by during this day. And me being the respectful person that I am, I was like, well, what time works for you? And I didn't hear back. And they were like, you didn't show up. And I'm like, well, you never told me what time. And they're like, you just never showed up. And I I didn't know. I didn't know that you just walk into the place with no appointment and no like agenda other than show up because I'm always I've I've got this mind where you need to be respectable respectful of other people's time and their schedule and all this other stuff and I'm just like but you never told me when <laughs> <laughs> that guy ended up I ended up finally going back after months of like wondering and like wishing I would have gone through with it and he told me that he wasn't looking for any apprentices he's already been telling his own person no and if he told me yes then that would cause issues And so he told me like a list of shops to go try. And I went to all these different shops and I was either getting like the door slammed in my face. They were telling me flat out, no, they weren't talking to me at all. Or there just wasn't anybody there to talk to. And I was just like, I kept trying and trying and trying all these like shops down the list. And then I finally got to one and they were like, well, she's going to be here at this time. If you feel like waiting, you can wait. So I waited And I ended up talking to her. I had my portfolio in hand. She looked at the portfolio. And by the time we were done talking, she was like, well, I was going to tell you no, but I guess I'll give you a chance. So she was like, come in on this day. So I go in on that day and like almost immediately, she's like, you're going to tattoo yourself tonight. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So like day one, no experience, no guidance, no anything. She's just like, do this or else. And I'm like, cool. (laughs) So I did. And I gave myself a tattoo and I'm like, this is really exciting. And I got lots of good feedback from the people in the shop, but definitely not her. Um, And then I go on and basically I'm like used and abused for two weeks and then I got fired. And for all sorts of reasons, like even down to the way I breathe when I mop it just, she hated me from the time she met me. And it was so obvious during that two weeks. And so I'm, I'm off at an event. Finally, I'm able to rest a little bit because I was working there from like the time I got out of school until one in the morning most days. And then I had to get up in the morning at five to go to school the next day. So it was like this ridiculous schedule. And like students were starting to ask me if I'm like, okay, because I was starting to look sick from not getting enough sleep. And I'm like finally able to breathe. And I get a text from the original shop owner that sent me over there in the first place. And he's like, hey, how's the apprenticeship going? And I was like, well, I got fired. And he's like, oh, okay, come see me again. And so I go and I talk to him and he's like, let me talk to this, the person, the other person that wanted the apprenticeship that he told. No, let me talk to him and see if he's going to be okay with you kind of doing a side-by-side apprenticeship. If he's okay with that, we can have it work and you'll, you'll be able to build your portfolio and then I can send you off to another shop because I still don't want an apprentice. Well, I'm still there and it's been a year and a half and I've like graduated (laughs) out of my apprenticeship and I'm now like a full-time tattoo artist and I work there basically Monday through Saturday from two to 10. And at this point I'm like in a financial place where I feel like it's sustainable even now that I'm not doing the teaching and it's happy and healthy and I feel appreciated as an artist and respected as a human and much more so than I was when I was in the school. So it's, it's great. And everything's wonderful. And now I'm like a professional tattooer and woodworker, which I never thought would happen. That's amazing. It's such a great story. And it kind of goes back to, you know, even though you weren't having a great time at that, you know, initial shop there, you were st- sticking, you know, with it, you know, cause mm-hmm. you're like, this is how it works. Right. I mean, it goes back yeah. to your original, uh, you know, alien cheeseburger project where you're just like, yeah. I have, to, you know, I have a vision here and I, you know, I'm going to go do all this work to get to where, you know, where I can see, you know, yeah. the results. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, yeah. I've been following your, you know, your account where you post the tattoos and stuff and those are, they're really cool and it's fun. You know, I still haven't figured out any tattoo that I want to actually get, but um, yeah, I do. I definitely appreciate the art and, you know, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it's, we can always just start cool. with a dot. <laughs> there you go. That's interesting. That's um that that refers to um one of my favorite books about art. It's a kids book. It's called The Dot. Really? And um yeah, so it's um by Peter Reynolds. And yeah, so it's this one student who's and you know, it's like a young kid, you know, probably whatever, six or seven years old, mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do on their paper. And the teacher just says, Why don't you just uh, make a market and see what happens? Yeah. And she just like, you know, draws like, you know, takes her marker and just like, you know, smashes it into the paper and it makes a dot. And then the teacher hangs it up behind her. And then the kid goes and explores the entire world of dot based art. And uh, it's just really interesting to see, you know, so everything starts with just that one, you know, the first mark. So yeah, that's really cool. I I love it. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot for talking to me today. Uh, Where can people find your work? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm on Instagram as Rebecca underscore DeGroot and also tattoos by underscore Rebecca. Um, I'm also on Facebook as just Rebecca DeGroot, YouTube as Rebecca DeGroot. And I think that's it for right now. I need to update a lot of my socials and like other platforms now that I'm only working a 40 hour week instead of 78. Sure. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something else. So I'll, I'll, keep it going. And I post everything on Facebook and Instagram. So if you can't find it there, then it's not happening. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Thanks. And I uh, just want to take a second to uh, thank my uh, the patrons uh, who support the show over on Patreon, especially the top tier patrons, uh, Matt Artigiano-Serio, Ed Johns, Brian Callahan, and uh, Sean Beckner. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making problems to solve. Uh, if you uh, can't do that, you can always uh, leave a review or share the show with a friend. You can uh, find the show on Instagram at Making Problems to Solve. You can find me on Instagram at Dave Bauer Art. Thanks a lot for talking to me today. Hey, thanks for having me.